Okay, good evening, everybody. Good to be here. Good to see you all. Good to see real people right there in the same room. I guess you've been doing this a bit. Uh, but uh, it's, I, I certainly appreciate it. Uh, as I imagine most of you, maybe all of you know, maybe some don't. Uh, but uh, during this time, starting last month and into today, this in May and June, uh, Sims is going to be exploring the three characteristics of existence. And it's a very important teaching that I'll get into a little bit. Uh, in April, we the introduction, and uh, depending on who is talking, might have somebody might have also talked about either dukkha or talked about impermanence. Uh, this evening, what I'll be doing, and that, well, next month, uh, well, during June, we'll probably be talking about not self. I imagine it might be depending on who's doing the talk. Anyway, this evening, I'm going to be doing an overview. Uh, maybe some of you, you had it. Uh, maybe you'll get a little bit different taste of it from my perspective. And then I'm going to dwell. I'm going to talk a little bit about both dukkha and uh, not self, but I'm going to primarily focus on uh, impermanence. So uh, the three characteristics are universal qualities of existence. They permeate all aspects of life. Uh, there's something we share as human beings. And this in life and regardless of whether or not we realize it. Uh, they're like gravity. And whether or not we realize and understand it, it still affects us. So like gravity, the three characteristics may not be something we fully understand, but we can get a sense of how it operates in the world. Uh, and uh, we can see how important it is and get healthy regard for them. Uh, we all try to make sense of the world. You know, where we human beings and what's this and what's that. Uh, and we try to make sense of the world in one way or another. We have to do this to a certain extent just to learn how to navigate our lives. We can do this just enough to get by and manage, or it's possible to really delve into it like perhaps some philosophers and scientists have. Uh, the Buddha was one of those people who really delved into it. What's this? What's going on here? What is this life all about? And he lived in a palace and he had a pretty good life and he's pretty well protected from any type of difficulties being having that wealth, having that status. But as the story goes, and uh, I'm not sure the truth of it, but it doesn't matter. The lore certainly is a teaching for him. Uh, he ventured out, ventured out from the, the comforts of the palace. And on the streets, he's seeing suffering. He sees people dying. He sees people sick. He see, but sees aging. He sees all these things, which he wasn't exposed to too much. And he also ran into a, a, a monk, a traveling uh, sadhu. And he decided to go forth and say, what's this all about? To really delve into the nature of, of life. And he emerged from his studies. He emerged from his meditations. He emerged from that investigation with a sense of the three characteristics of existence and the Four Noble Truths. So the three characteristics are uh, impermanence, uh, suffering, uh, not self, or in Pali, the terms are uh, anicca, dukkha, and nata. So Buddha talked a lot about the three characteristics. They are interrelated and very important perspectives in this practice. Ignoring them, not being aware of them or denying them creates problems for ourselves and others. So that's why we're offering these teachings. That's why the Buddha offered the teachings. Understanding how the three characteristics manifest in the world gives us a perspective that helps us navigate life with less clinging, less frustration, less disappointment. And it's a perspective that leads less to less harm and suffering for both ourselves and others. Uh, 
one thing I like about Buddhism is that we don't have to believe this. This is not a dogma. It is not something that you have to memorize and there you got it, but something that we start exploring. So it's not some kind of religious belief. Rather, these characteristics are things to explore where they're mindfulness practice. Uh, and rather than just believing them, it's useful, helpful to just know how these three characteristics are operating in our lives. How do they play out? How do we, how can we experience him to notice the full range of suffering and dissatisfaction that comes with the territory of just being a human being? Uh, we explore to notice how things are changing and are, inherent, are inherently unreliable. To begin to get a sense of what is meant by not self, part of the exploration. If we recognize and understand these basic characteristics of existence, our lives can be a lot easier than if we struggle and fight and argue and disagree with the basic nature of what life is like. I read something uh, Gil Fronstel said, uh, in this tradition, as we go deeper and deeper into the meditation practice and insight, there are three characteristics become increasingly important as insights. In fact, they're considered the insights of insight meditation practice. And people have many insights. Some of them are unique to oneself, which are important insights. But what we're looking for here is what is universal. <clears throat> that which we all share as human beings and something that we have as an understanding or perspective, a perspective and understanding that we can bring along no matter where we go, no matter what situation is. These three perspectives have value in helping us not to cling or get caught or get disappointed or frustrated. So the tradition puts a lot of emphasis on this. It's important part of uh, wise living. It's important part of deepening our insight practice. And it's a catalyst for experience of liberation. So, like I said, it's not a matter of belief. It's not a dogma. It's an idea. It's notions of exploration. We can see them, how they operate. And we can see our responses to dukkha. We can see our responses to impermanence. We can see our, our sense of when we solidify around our sense of self. We start our practice as we begin, might not understand, we begin to understand. Then we practice with that understanding. And a key tool for an understanding of the three characteristics is our mindfulness practice. Paying attention, noticing how they manifest in our lives. So I'm going to look at each of these and start off with uh, dukkha, suffering. Um, the, the Pali word dukkha has been translated to English as suffering. And I think there's other translations which might be a little bit more helpful. Uh, unsatisfactoriness. So it's not just suffering. It's not just all grim, but there's unsatisfactoriness. There's uh, stressful, you know. Uh, I, I like the word wobbly. It's there's a way that there's, it's just, it's hard to get a settledness about life. There's always, you know, a little bit of wobbliness. So, uh, and when you say life is suffering, the first noble truth, it's not something we need to get bummed out about. Uh, it's information about how things are, how life is. And kind of like a weather report tells us, well, okay, this is the way it is. Anyway, we're going to Alaska. Okay, the weather report tells us, well, we should probably bundle up. We're going down to Florida. Okay, we can travel lighter and you know, bring a swimsuit. Uh, it, it's the information. It allows us to have a perspective and understanding about how to relate to life. Buddha said he taught only two things. That's suffering and the end of suffering or dukkha and the end of dukkha. 
And he laid that out in the Four Noble Truths. And the very first characteristic is there is dukkha. And that's the first noble truth. When Udo was asked, well, what is this suffering? His answer was, uh, birth is suffering. Aging is suffering. Sickness is suffering. Death is suffering. Being separated from what you want is suffering. Getting what you don't want is suffering. In other words, all things Dukkha has to do with clinging to a sense of self, clinging to wanting things to be different than how they are. And as he talked about suffering, clinging is the key point, key word, that's the key phrase. And that gets to be the second noble truth. What's the cause of suffering? It has to do with clinging. So Dukkha is the way things are for sentient beings. We feel, we respond to our environment. You know, that's, that's kind of a good thing. Uh, very good thing. Uh, some things are pleasant, so we move towards them. Some things are unpleasant, we pull back. Uh, and many things are neither. Dukkha is a basic characteristic of existence. Uh, even amoebas have a certain natural response. Plants have that response. There's a way that they move towards things that are going to support survival. There's a way that they pull back from things that are not going to support survival. But beyond that type of response, humans have another capacity. Besides the normal physical condition of the world, uh, earth aging, sickness, and death, humans have this rich imagination. And we come up with all kinds of ways of, oh, this is scary. This is dangerous. This is fun. I'm going to do that. All these ways that we imagine and venture out from this present point in order to find things that are pleasant and avoid things which aren't. Uh, so cling back to clinging to these conditioned things causes suffering. We can get caught in a relentless pursuit of pleasant experiences while trying to avoid the unpleasant. That's an impossible task. And that results in a stress and ongoing sense of dissatisfaction and a narrowing of our comfort zone. The more we try to just go for the pleasant, that it, it, it kind of closes down and it's, and anyway, end up in a gated community pretty soon and you have a hard time moving out of your cable TV situation. That's my opinion. Uh, anyway, uh, so how do you practice with dukkha and unsatisfactoriness? Uh, first, we recognize that the experience of stress and suffering is a basic condition of being human. We're not alone. And knowing that we're not alone, it becomes a shared experience and we can start feeling connected. Other people are just like me in that regard. Life difficulties are not something to be feared or avoided. With an understanding of this, we develop compassion for ourselves, develop compassion for others. Uh, yeah, there's some types of dukkha, which is kind of natural. I mean, it's kind of the physical thing. I, I stub my toe. It hurts. I mean, there's that, there's that type of thing. But the type of dukkha, which we're really are dealing with, is after I stub my toe, I have this whole narrative. Uh-oh, I think I broke my toe. And then on and on, oh, I can't go to work tomorrow. Oh. I'm going to lose my job. We have this narrative which exaggerates, which uh, expands. And that's the thing that our mindfulness practice can bring attention to so that momentum doesn't take off. Uh, our experience of Duke can be feel pretty solid and relentless. Sometimes it gets pretty bad. We've had bad situations. It can get extremely bad. And the way to practice, even then, mindfulness practice can recognize, ah, suffering is happening. 
this hurts. And we can also recognize it can seem like a solid thing. With mindfulness, you can start seeing spaces and start loosening up around how tight our narrative tightens. Mindfulness can loosen. And then we recognize, oh, not only am I feeling this lousy, oh, I just saw a beautiful sky. So we we can kind of open and get a, a bigger perspective instead of the narrative perspective that kind of contracts and closes down on us. Now, I, you know, I want to be careful as I talk this way. I talk about, you know, dukkha, it's mindfulness. It's not, you know, there's some serious difficulties in life. I think we, each of us can talk, you know, look in our circle of friends, maybe look in our family, maybe look to ourselves. It's not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. I don't want to be flippant about, oh, just be mindful here. It takes attention. It takes compassion. It takes caring to oneself. It takes patience. But seeing clearly loosens the grip. The next characteristic I want to talk about is not self or anatta. Of the three characteristics, anicca, dukkha, anicca and dukkha <coughs> make sense to me. Impermanence and you know, dukkha, suffering, that makes sense to me, at least on a basic level. They're both worth exploring. But when you say about anatta, not self, I mean, you know, you, you got to trip over that. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm here, you're there. You know, is it, that's, that's obvious. There's a way that it's counterintuitive. But this is, you know, the Buddha looked at this. And I think it's something that each of us can look at and get a way of loosening that grip of who we are as a person and how how we often see ourselves as separate. But with, with uh, reflection, observation, mindfulness, we can start seeing how connected we are with everything, how connected we are with other people, how interdependent we are with all beings. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh holds up a piece of paper and he says, the whole universe is in this piece of paper. You know, the sun is in this piece of paper. Uh, the trees are in this piece of paper. Uh, the person who cut down the tree is in this piece of paper. And so it goes with each of us. We seem like a separate entity, but you can trace back. There's family, there's culture. There's all the people that allowed you to be here, all the things that allowed you to be here today. Everything, we're not a separate self. We're not a John Wayne marching across the West, you know, all self-sufficient. In order to practice with this, I, there's, uh, oh, another thing I want to put in here. There's, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh also uses this word interbeing, which I find really helpful. He wrote a book on a recommended, it's called The Other Shore. Uh, where he talks about this interbeing, where everything is just just so tight, and it's a, it's a fun reflection. I I went to a hospital for one thing or another, uh, nothing particularly difficult, uh, but it's a really an interesting experience to watch all the people, all the things that are involved in your care, the people checking you in the doctors, the anesthesiologist, the person that, uh, your taxi driver, all these things are all focused on supporting you. And we kind of, I find that a really nice reflection. Having breakfast in the morning. What did it take for you to have breakfast in the morning? You know, who, who, who made your Cheerios? You know, who made that box of Cheerios? I, you know, and there's all these ways that we can reflect and see our connection. Uh, there's a book I can't remember the name Boy, Ed Young I started reading it I don't know if you know him but he's a microbiologist I guess it would be he talks about all the bacteria all the things all the little critters that are living on you in you you know that are thriving with your help 
that you're helping them, they are helping you. We're, I mean, we've got several pounds of these guys in our bodies, and we're all working together, all kind of this little uh, giant organism involving millions of things. Uh, it, it's, 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 you know, to say that I'm a you know, self-sufficient person is just kind of nonsense. So it's, it's nice to kind of see how we're connected. I also like other ways I like looking at science in particular about how we're connected. You know, uh, uh, Carl Sagan, I, I have used this one in talks before. He, uh, during the Voyager mission out to the outer planets, he had the cameras turned back to take a picture of that field of stars. Just, it was just all dots, maybe different colored dots. And in the midst of that, there was this pale blue dot, the tiniest little thing, couldn't even find it. And that was the earth. Everything that has ever happened in the history of humans, everything, even now, it's occurring on something that big for separate, you know, it's been going on for, you know, humans 10,000 years, maybe a civilization, I don't know, half a million for any type of human. Yeah, there's just, yeah, it's nice to see how, how we're not separate, you know, we're together here. Um, oh boy, watch what I'm doing with time here. So uh, that sense of self, I mean, Buddha was asked, is there a self? He didn't answer. Is there not a self? He didn't answer. And that's the guy. And uh, his, uh, his aide, aide there asked, well, why didn't you answer the guy? And he said, well, if I answered, yes, there's a self, that would be misleading. It wouldn't be accurate. If I said there's no self, that would be misleading too. So it's, Neither. It's, it's not self, self, or not self. It's like we need, we need, psychologically speaking, it's important to have a, a healthy sense of self. If we don't have that, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty difficult existence. Where am I? Who am I? How do I, you know, where do I stand here? So this is important to have that. The problem that arises is we start identifying. We start clinging we start closing down we start tightening around our image of self i'm okay if i do this i'm not okay if i do that i hope people like me i hope i might i don't like i don't like myself all those ways that we can have again the narrative which can kind of tighten down around us and it creates suffering so when we're talking about non-self we're loosening that rodney smith talks about thinning the self thinning the self. So it's a little bit looser, a little bit, uh, yeah, there's a self that finds its way home. There's a self that responds and say, oh yeah, Jerry, yeah, yeah. But there's not, there doesn't have to be a self in relationship uh, in generosity. One one image that comes to mind a lot on this one is uh, I had a friend who, uh, had a very close relationship with their grandmother. And, and later on, as she was older, she found out one reason she had that was that she was a very, she cried a lot as a child and her grandmother just held her. You know, just held her, just held her. It just knew, just knew. And when I think about not self, it's kind of like, I kind of imagine that's, you know, what it's like. What is it like when there's no, self-regard when compassion just flows from one's heart when compassion just flows because they care about another person it's that type of thing so you're still operating completely you're operating even more engaged because there's a, a larger awareness your awareness extends beyond these narrow needs of me it extends beyond to whoever you're engaging with involved with relating to Uh, 
So, yeah, okay. Off. I guess I did that kind of. Um, yeah, uh, that self, a little bit, one more thing about self. It's, it's like so much of our self is created by this narrative. Yeah, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. Uh, I was in this men's group, people who are just approaching retirement, and there's a couple of doctors, and there is an engineer, and there is a uh, uh, consultant and an accountant, and all of a sudden they weren't. You know, now they're going to retirement. And it's like it's discombobulating to lose that sense, this identity of I am a, you know, I am a teacher. I am a and that's, we can kind of contract around that. And our sense of self, and so we get a narrative. If I have that, then it's good. If I don't have that, no, I don't know where to be. So that's where that loosening up around our sense of self occurs, where we can just be a little bit more okay with, okay, here I am, whatever. So just a little bit more easeful relationship. Okay, the third one, which I wanted to spend the most time on, uh, but it's not quite happening that way, is impermanence, the Nietzsche. Uh, it's a third characteristic. Uh, and this is kind of an obvious one. We all know this from our personal experience. Man, things come and go. Uh, uh, we remember uh, the weather changing from morning to evening. We remember how it was last week. Remember when we, how we were like when we were kids and we grew up and then we were in high school and then we uh, you know, got in a relationship and maybe had kids, what have you. There's a way that uh, we see change. Uh, so it's not, there's nothing new or surprising here. Uh, but Buddha talked a lot about the suffering related to this. And that's two reasons. One reason that understanding uh, uh, Anicca is so important is that we don't realize the gr- degree that things are changing. And secondly, we often live with a fraught relationship with the change. We struggle with change. We want change to happen on our own terms. We want change to happen when things are unpleasant. We don't want things to happen when, when they're pleasant. So there's that struggle with change. And so Buddha taught that uh, suffering arises when we engage in that sort of struggle. But impermanence, Nietzsche, is the nature of the conditioned world. Things come into being due to a set of causes and conditions, and they pass out of being if those causes and conditions are no longer present. This is natural. When this, then that. When not this, then not that. It's the way things are. About two years ago, uh, Sims had a, a month-long talking about eight worldly winds of change, eight worldly winds of change. And this is a type of a way of framing uh, the types of change. And there are four pairs. There's pleasure and pain. They're all in kind of, you know, kind of a, oh, the pleasant one and unpleasant one. Gain and loss, praise and blame, status and disgrace. The four winds, those are always happening. Yeah, and you, you could probably see when that happens. And, uh, and our tendency is to go after the good stuff, the pleasant stuff. You know, we want the gain. We want the pleasure. We want the, the status. We want the, uh, the, what was the other one? The praise. We don't want loss. We don't want pain. We don't want da da da. da. Uh, so they, these pairs offer this seductive promise of comfort on the one hand and uh, a threat of discomfort on the other. So our natural inclination go for the pleasant. Yeah, I mean, really. Uh, uh, okay. However, the winds of change are not something we have control over or can choose between, Uh, but rather they're a natural way of how things are. 
how things flow, how things change. They're not good or bad. They're, they're, they're natural comings and goings, arising and passing. It's like the weather. The weather blows in, the weather blows out. So if we, we invest our happiness in conditions being a certain way, which are constantly changing, we're going to be disappointed. It's a setup. We'll add suffering to this natural process of change. Pima Chodron, this is another good book. See, I don't know if you see that. Yeah, that going? Yeah. Pima Chodron, what's this book, Living Beautifully? I got this from my sister, who's a, a conservative Christian. And I, wow, what a great book. She saw, wow, what a great book. I always like it when that happens. So I'm recommending it here too. Uh, so she talks about Anicca using the phrase, a fundamental ambiguity of being human. What a concept. You know, that's kind of the way it is. It's fundamental ambiguity of being human. Just, you know, kind of mumbling along, you know, we're all. Bozos on this bus, as he used to say. She offers an alternative to relating to change. Rather than the, you know, the pleasant, not pleasant, gain pain. Uh, she offers, rather than seeing pleasant and avoid unpleasant, she suggests aligning our lives around three commitments. And this alignment goes back to... Uh, 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 Tibetan Buddhism from back when. They go way back. Uh, and the three commitments, again, rather than trying to figure out which side of this praise-blame thing to land on, you align your perspective around these commitments, simple commitments. First one, don't cause harm. You know, just don't cause, don't hurt people. Don't steal from people. Don't lie. Don't, you know, all that stuff. Don't cause harm. You can do that regardless of external conditions. That can happen, rich or poor. That can happen whether you're being blamed or praised. Imagine what a huge difference it would make in the world if people did just that much, if half the people did just that much. The sec- second one is take care of one another. So it's, it's, and then it comes into the generosity. It's, it, it's not, not only just not doing this. Now you're kind of engaging. You're recognized. You see suffering and you, you are there and you support it. And the third one is embracing the world as it is. Now this does not mean, you know, Oh, well, it's not indifference, but it's a recognition that there's suffering. There's a recognition of the full, full deal, and it can be there. And so it can be not disengaging, not indifference, but ability to be with, to recognize, to connect, to have compassion for, to see suffering, to feel suffering, to see beauty, to allow beauty to pass. It's fully engaged without forcing, without changing, without trying to make things different than they're unfolding. Now, I mean, if you, you see a problem and you can do something about it, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, there's, that doesn't say anything about, you know, taking care of the planet or anything. It does, it has, has to do with, if you can do something, yeah, do something. If you can't do anything, well, don't worry. What do you do? Uh, <clears throat> Pima Chodron also talks about, uh, in terms of relating to the characteristics and uh, to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the eight worldly winds, she talks about, using water logic rather than rock logic. In other words, there's a sense of flowing instead of a sense of pushing and shoving and resisting and, you know, struggling with. You flow, you move with the change, you flow with the river. Uh, It's like, you know, flying a kite, you know, 
and your rather than and your kite is tethered to your best intentions. So you just go ease, knowing knowing where your foundation is. Um, while I was thinking about this talk, and this this past week, uh, I was watching uh, maybe you know uh, Amanpour. Christiane Amanpour, she does this um, news interviewer. And she inter- interviewed uh, Anthony Fauci. And it was great. If you get a chance, I, I just listen. I, 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 that guy is, I just really admire that man. As you know, you know Anthony Fauci has a long career in, uh, I don't know how to summarize it, infectious disease, medicine, doctor, uh, research, understanding what causes disease, how it gets spread. And he was advisor to presidents and the government in during COVID. And he had this big face in during that time, as you all know. Uh, having that spotlight back to the... So I'm listening. I'm listening to this talk. And uh, in, the, in the interview, you're talking about, well, what was it like? I mean, you know, all this stuff going on. How did you relate to that? How was it when people were criticizing you? And, uh, and there's something that went beyond criticism, as you're probably aware. I mean, there was death threats. There was death threats to him, to his family. He was really, I mean, talk about praise and blame. He had both of them. Lots of, you know, lots of praise, lots of blame. And somehow he was steady. And I think this is what, you know, we're pointing to here. It's, and as he talked about it, so she's asking, Christian Amanpour asked, well, what is that like? Those type of things. He says, I, I don't let it bother me. It doesn't bother me. It bothers me as it affects my family. Me personally, not. And then he surprised me. And he says, likewise, all the praise. Not important. What's important was looking at the situation of this COVID, seeing how it was affecting people, and doing the best he could to support people's end of suffering. It was like, you know. It's like what we're talking about, just not aligning with the winds of change, aligning with intentions, not causing harm, caring for others, accepting as it does. Um, where am I here? Uh, just a couple other things. Uh, another thing Khan said, thanks to impermanence, everything is possible. Oh, that's interesting. Without impermanence, nothing is possible. You know? Can't, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here without change. Uh, so that's good news. Impermanence is good news. Uh, I like what Norman Fisher kind of says about some of this stuff. I wonder, I, okay, there's, there's something there. Uh, Norman Fisher says, our reaction to change is information. There are opportunities to learn. They can be met with mindfulness, curiosity, and imagination. I, this is the one I like. I like that imagination. What's this? How am I reacting? Isn't that interesting? So he talks about imagination. When I first said that, huh? How is this imagination? And then, this is my understanding at this point. It's like, without imagination, we're just operating out of conditioning. So if we're operating on a conditioning, imagination is opening up to something else. And we're doing it with you know, these intentions and we're doing it with you know, a, a caring attitude. I really appreciate that. 
so mindfulness, imagination, and widening our view can all support how we relate to the reality of change without causing suffering for ourselves and others. Uh, when yeah, Nor- Norman's, I have time. I'm going to sneak this in. I'll see how fast I can talk. Uh, Norman Fisher's use of imagination reminded me of an episode of uh, This American Life. It was called Flipping the Script. Uh, you, you may have heard This American Life. And this one was Flipping the s- Script. It's like you're going around, and it has to do with imagination. You're going about your business. This happens. And all of a sudden, you make a decision. Or you just end up doing something very different. So this involved, I, I'm not sure I got all these details correct, but it basically I got uh, a, a group of fan, friends were gathering, garden party, outdoors, having a good time, you know, having a nice meal, sharing food, sharing wine, uh, just a pleasant experience. In the middle of this, some guy off the street came up with a gun and said, give me all your money, robbing them at gunpoint. I mean, they didn't have money on them. And they're, you know, they're scared. I mean, you know, what's, what do you, I mean, where, you, this, you just kind of, this is not going to end well. And so well, we, we, we found this, you know, you're, you're kind of fumbling around what to do here. And then at one point, a woman says, well, we don't have that for you. Uh, would you like to sit down and have some food? And he said, yeah. And he sat down and had some food. And they're sharing a meal. And then at one point, I'm not sure how it all evolved. At some point, he was ready to leave. And they said, here, would you like a glass of wine to take with you? Took a glass of wine, left. Uh, next morning, they find the empty glass of wine at the end of their sidewalk. You know, I, I guess that's Buddhism, isn't it? Is that what we're talking about this evening? It's a great story. Uh, it's like, but it goes back to, you know, it, as long as he's an enemy, as long as a sense of separation it doesn't get better. Connecting, it's a it's game changer. And uh, I think that's I think that's that's what we have. That's our that's our offering. That's our you know, I think that's what we're we're practicing about. Changing the game with mindfulness, changing the game with our best intentions, not struggling with the way things are, recognizing dukkha. Impermanence, not self. Feeling our connection to one another. Uh, With that, I think I want to just end with a poem. My guess is this poem, I've heard this poem many times at Sims, uh, but it's apropos for this and may be familiar to you, may not be. But it has to do with uh, being open to life, you know, rather than struggling, rather than just chasing after the good stuff and keeping the unpleasant at bay. It's opening up to all, recognizing it, understanding it, seeing it as information, seeing it as an opportunity to learn, seeing it as an opportunity to get wiser, as the Buddha did. So it's the guest house, the name of it, by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be cleaning you out, or she may be cleaning you out uh, for some new delight. 
the dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Thank you for your attention. Good to be here with you all. Um, oh, just, let's just sit one minute and I'll get into the what's next. So uh, I was wondering how time was going to go. I think I could go with questions and comments or anything along that regard. Uh, so if, yeah, just open it up. Uh, if, do you, are there ways that you relate to these three characteristics? Is there a way that you uh, get inspired by this or, trip over them or, uh, yeah. Yeah, any, have any questions or comments about the talk or so forth? You're welcome, whatever. Oh, let's see, I'm gonna have to do something about online. Uh, who's going to? They can unmute themselves, Jerry. Okay, you'll you'll let and, them on. Yeah, and uh, they can raise a, a virtual hand in their window. Okay, and uh, then uh, who's going to be calling on them? Or will I be calling on them? It looks it looks like that. Yeah, you can call okay. on them. Okay, so I see your hand raised, Kathy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have a. Go yeah, ahead. I'll make a comment. I thank you very much, Jerry. I I I was very. Very, uh, very happy to to, co- to follow along with you here tonight, and I particularly like the uh, uh, basing our, your um, your life on your intentions. It's uh, it's just having you know non harming, being kind, uh, you know, in your mind rather than worrying about these long lists of things. I think is really helpful to me. And also, um, imagination is an antidote to the conditions of living by rote, which is so easy f- to slip into for me. So um, that was a wonderful reminder. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your comment, Kathy. Yeah. It, yeah. I read this stuff in a reminder again. I mean, it was, it was a kind of a, a treat for me to do this talk when I wasn't fretting about it because I was reading these reminders out there, you know, from Norman and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and, uh, you know, Pima Trojan and all these other teachers. So it's just, it's, it's so much of it is reminders. I mean, you have all this conditioning. It's all ways I can, you know, you know, operate on, you know, uh, automatic pilot. Uh, it takes a little bit of, attention and awareness and uh, pausing to start acting out of these uh, intentions and ideas and offerings that these teachers have shared with us. Any questions from the folks in the room here? Comments? Oh, okay. Yeah. If there's a comment, yeah, I guess you guys know the form. You can come up here. You don't have, I don't have, I'm not going to turn the camera. That's okay. So just feel free to talk. Is that, do I need to do something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Oh, that's right. Am I good now? Yes, yeah, so by me. Yeah, this is a really uh, this is a very open comment. It's just it's not a question, really. It's when I'm thinking about the three characteristics. One of the things that always puzzles me is why those three. You know, they seem like strange bedfellows. Mm. You know, if if someone had told me one of the characteristics was love, I'd probably be like, yeah, yeah, that's one of the characteristics. You know, if they said impermanence, I would, yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, sure. And, you know, not self, of course, I have the same reaction as you. You know, the first time I heard it, I was like, huh, that's a weird one to throw in. You know, and of course, you know, you think about it, we we talk about it, we hear stories, it, it makes sense. But I sometimes struggle with the question of, what makes those, and, you know, you, you mentioned also that, um, I think it was Gil Fronstil you were quoting who said, like, you know, what makes these, the ones that were picked were that they are universal. And that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I just have this open reflection of, well, if you're going to pick three, why did the Buddha pick these three and call these the universal ones, uh, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I yeah. Mean, yeah, right. You're, yeah, you're going to get me thinking about this. Uh, right. Just, just kind of off the top of my head. You know, what comes to mind is two of those are, uh, yeah. It's like this, this is this is what's going on. The, the idea of impermanence. But it's like mm-hmm. you could also say toss gravity. There is gravity, you know, uh, but there is impermanence. And there's dukkha. I mean, that, that's what the non-self one. I think I, I would, I'm just speculating here. I should probably take my Dharma hat off and sit in the crowd here. But I think it has to do with what was going on with uh, religions at that time, where you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Atman, you know, the personal Atman, person who has control, uniting with the, the big Atman. And he was saying no. And so I think he just, said that I, this is my experience. It's not what we've been saying. It's not what we've been thinking. Uh-huh. And that was his direct experience. Uh-huh. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I don't see everybody's picture here so I, if there's people with hands up i might not know oh does it appear up the top okay yeah Deb. oh that's right you guys know what to do here so thank you thank you for your talk jerry I really enjoyed it. Oh, so those on? Is there Oops. something has to happen there? I just got to flip the switch. I don't always know what I'm doing here, though. I appreciate your your talk about the three um, characteristics. Um, what resonated? Well, one of the things that resonated for me tonight was when you're talking about um, the importance of impermanence to us, and I have a sangha friend. Uh, in the Thursday night sangha, who said to me, you know, our lives are beautiful because they end. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's true. That's true. If, if our lives didn't end, what would we have as a kind of like, you know, when you're doing a flip turn in a swimming pool, you got to push against the wall to shoot off the other way. And if they don't end, there's no wall to push against. And if you think about like the Greek legends where there were these immortals, you know, dancing around and their, and their lives were immortal. They were the gods. And honestly, if you look at those people, they were an unholy mess. (laughs) They were just crazy and they just went on being crazy and there was no boundary to their craziness. So it's, it's, it's good in that sense to be impermanent Although, you know, I'm not looking to hasten my death. And it's not to say that death is always pretty, because I think it's often not. Depends, I suppose. So it's not that death is beautiful, but our lives are more made beautiful because they do end and because it sort of 
pricks me anyway to go on to say, you know, why am I here? And what am I making at this one singular, if it's one, I don't know, if it's one singular crazy life that I have, am I making the best of it? And that's an important question to ask. Yeah. Whereas if I was immortal, have another glass of wine and, you know, chill out, you know, think about it. So it's good. It's good to be impermanent that way. It also allows the concept of retirement. Uh, yeah, thanks, Deb. That that just brought to mind bringing up death, and yeah, I talk about the one, you know, super impermanent, super suffering uh, uh, case. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've liked this quote. I was going to read it at one point. Uh, from Steve Jobs, uh, and he was, you know, as you know, he died young age. And uh, his quote is, he says, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big decisions in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remember that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. I right. don't often imagine Steve Jobs with words of wisdom, but I uh, was, yeah, I guess that's where wisdom comes from. Yeah, certainly can. Yeah, come on up if you want. What is your name? Adam. Adam. Thank you, Adam. I just wanted to say, hi, everyone online. I'm Adam. Um, I really appreciated your This American Life um, mm. story. It really made me think about something that has been going on for me and probably many other people in the room. We live in this big city. And I feel like that story I related to and that I'm, you know, frequently having my own little picnic wherever I am. And I run into some situation where my picnic gets thrown in asunder, you know, and, um, and there's a, a reaction that's kind of like what you described this kind of like panic of like, Oh God, that's not where my head's at. Like <laughs> there's a lot of dukkha there. There's something happening here. That's not where I was just a moment ago. Mm. And there's, you know, for me, and maybe there's an instinct to look away from it or to, kind of be embarrassed by it or, you know, to want to protect myself from it. And I think the more that I practice, the more I kind of have a little moment of, oh, I'm panicking or I'm, I'm having a strong reaction. I'm yeah. moving away from something that I'm seeing. And um, what I find more and more is that there's some relief when instead I try to move towards it in whichever way I can, mm -hmm. if it's a smile if it's a helping hand or whatever it is, um, that's what I'm finding brings relief. And, and so I just really appreciated that story that you shared. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah. To see those type of connections, you know, uh, it just, it get, to get encouraged in that way, I find really helpful. So many ways that we can be encouraged in the opposite way. And I think you are also talking about uh, you start seeing ways that you react that you just don't like. You know, this is, I don't want to be this person. It's like, I don't let other people know that I think, you know, I said that or wanted to say that or thought that. Uh, it's, it's the other part. It's another, you know, it's, it's you, know, you know, opening the door and allowing that, you know, that's that aspect of that, I, you know, self-narrative to be seen 
Oh yeah. Okay. I, all right. Yeah. I, 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 I got that. There's a lot of anger there too. There's a lot. Yeah. I, okay. I'm not, I'm not such a, you know, just nice. As, and so it all gets well. I'm so glad you pointed to that. Thank you, Adam. Anybody out in Zoom land have thoughts, questions, things to offer? Well, maybe we call it then. Had a good evening. So why don't we just there a hand? Oh, I see. Oh, you're, okay. Yeah, Gene. I just wanted to say uh, I've had a delightful evening. Um, I haven't been slogging through a lot of heavy thinking, and I'm uh, grateful that you uh, left your lair and took the hot seat tonight and I would invite you back anytime and I'm glad that you were here and presented tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Appreciate the gift. Okay, uh, that's it. And uh, again, we started coming to stillness. Let's come to stillness again. Allowing that energy to settle. Knowing we're here. Breathing. Mindful. We're sitting as Sangha, sharing the space, sharing these reflections, bringing them into the world. So it's being grateful for our ability to do that. And also, I guess, offer meta to one another, begin with ourselves. Have peace, clarity of mind. I live with ease. Considering our friends and family, particular people that might be struggling right now. May they navigate their difficulties with clarity and ease and peace. May they live at ease. And all those living on this pale blue dot. living together. May we all have clarity. May we live in peace. May we have adequate food, shelter, clothing. May the merits of our practice be shared with all beings. May all beings live in peace.
Thank you, everybody. Good to see you here tonight.